Welcome back. I'm Conrad, he's Duncan, and we are Stranger by the Dozen. And it's time for the classic Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's get futuristic. Yeah, but not not your Guardians of the Galaxy, everyone out there. That's why I said the classic Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so, it's uh, Giant Size Defenders 5, July 1975. This is the last of the Giant Size Defenders issues. As well as this story, there's a story from Daredevil number 62 in 1970 where Nighthawk arrives on the scene and shows up Daredevil constantly until Daredevil reveals that Nighthawk has been staging crimes to upstage the Man Without Fear. Nighthawk runs off into the subway, and that's basically all he did before he resurfaced four years later to join the Defenders. Wow, that's a bad end. Yeah. So, this issue, Elar moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> and this is a huge text credit box, right? Here we go. You won't believe this, but Steve Gerber, Gary Conway, Roger Sl- uh, Sliffer, Len Wein, Chris Claremont, and Scott Edelden plotted this tale. Steve scripted it, Don Heck drew it, Mike Esposito inked it, Dave Hunt inked the backgrounds and lettered it, George Russo's colored it, Len edited it. Coffee and moral support were provided for a price by the Lantern Coffee Shop on 53rd Street, and Carla made the meatloaf. <laughs> Once you've read it, the story, not the meatloaf, you may wonder why. Answer, why not? So, I can't believe I got this wrong earlier, and I'm just like, it's, I'm, I feel real bad. But this is actually uh, Artie Simek's last work before he died. He, did the first ten, he does the first ten pages of this issue. Um, and I feel really, and I feel really, like, I, I messed up the research for it, and so it means that I've, I've been saying he's been dying for every like every issue for the last three issues, and I apologize for that, like to his memory and stuff like that. I you know, in your, I'm sorry. In your defense, though, aren't yeah. we all born dying? Maybe, buddy. I don't know. Unless you're Stephen Strange. A, no, yeah, he's functionally immortal. Yep. So we open with a bunch of no good crooks chasing down a mustachioed businessman into an alley in order to mug him. Which I just imagine is happening constantly in like pre Giuliani New York, you know, <laughs> like before they turned it into the um, whatever pasteurized tourist mecca that it is today. Um, high overhead, Doctor Strange, Mystic Master, Valkyrie, Warrior Woman, the Hulk, Big Green Strong Person are flying to the site of some kind of temporal disruption. The Hulk is flying. Well, the Hulk's being like <laughs> the Hulk's being like towed mystically by Doctor Strange's amulet. I love this shot. This is brilliant. They're sort of flying overhead. Hulk says that uh, this whole investigating the time thing sounds dumb. It's good. It's good Defenders action. <laughs> um, and so they fly out to the Hudson Bay and they see a crazy glow in the water near the ferry. The glow continues and then erupts in a huge wave full of a frankly shocking amount of fish. Or a body of water just off off a major city assaults the boat. The defenders spring into action. Hulk lands on the ferry and starts tossing the fish back, even though it turns out they're all dead. And maybe someone's using them as a weapon? That's what the Hulk's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, a hand comes out of the water and grabs Doctor Strange's ankle. Spooky. And pulls him underwater, and we get our first good look at Elar. So Elar's like a big bipedial eel man. He's super strong, and he can electrocute you. But the craziest thing about him is that his word bubbles are a constant stream of crazy rhetoric. 
it's all in Marvel Unlimited. So if, if you want to check it out, because it's kind of it's kind of cool. But like, here's a taste. Like, uh, Empire is the sole destiny of our race. We shall make any sacrifice, pay any price that that destiny be fulfilled. We shall soar fearless among the stars, crushing all who oppose us. It's a bunch of uh, like stream of consciousness Warhammer 40k stuff about <laughs> Empire and superiority and things of that nature. Mostly unrelated to what's going on, like what Elar is doing. I think it's kind of creepy and cool, actually. Yeah, no, he, he's but, a sea monster. He's got to be spooky. And and yeah. when there's like no logic to be grasped from them, I think that kind of makes it a little more intense. Yeah, plus someone just just someone beating you up while explaining their superiority is pretty intimidating in general. <laughs> but so back to those muggers from previously. Um, as they sort of rough up the mustache guy, a mysterious man shows up in the alley and demands they stop what they're doing. The tough say no and stab the mustache guy. They don't tell us who the stranger is here, but they do tell us about him, how the muggers bounce off him because he has 11 times the mass of an Earthman, how his strength is thrice that of a human, and how he is repulsed by the action of the muggers because where he comes from, all life is precious with only 50 million humans left alive. He reflects how his friend Vance warned him about this, then carries the mustache guy to a hospital. He looks like Sean Connery from Zardoz. I mean, he's got pants. Yeah, so he's got cool that pants. much on him. But he definitely has kind of like leather bandoliers and things like that. Big crew cut, no facial hair, whatever. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the Defenders pick up a knocked out Doctor Strange and follow the trail of Elar. Then, in a third storyline... <laughs> As though there wasn't enough. Uh, I mean, there's going to be five at one point later on. <laughs> but we cut to Nighthawk flying through the skies of upstate New York feeling bad about himself. Interestingly, it's mostly feeling bad about um, the Trish Star situation from Giant Size Defenders 4 instead of Pennyworth being evil. But whatever, he's feeling bad. When he sees a UFO crashing into the woods, people in a nearby town are freaking out, except for one kid who's pretty stoked. <laughs> Back in Manhattan, we see a pair of cops working toll booths at the Hudson Tunnel, one of them with extremely bad trigger discipline, like playing with his gun and like basically almost shooting his buddy. He is like, he's itching to shoot someone. I mean, he totally points, he's like, look at me, I'm a dead eye, and points his gun, his, at, like his gun with the trigger on his, with the finger on it, with his, with his finger on the trigger at like his partner. Yeah. And why did the toll booth cops have guns? Like the, whatever crime happens at a toll booth is not going to require that. It's true. I don't know. Anyway. It was a different time. Everyone yeah. needed guns. I mean, whatever. Um, a bunch of, uh, like a big mob of people run past them, and then the tunnel is assaulted by a huge spout of water and fish, destroying the tunnel, and it's Elar again! The defenders show up and plug the hole with the crushed cars, and we're just moving on, I guess. <laughs> so let's go uh, back upstate and check on the excited kid from the UFO crash. And some sad and some bad parenting. <laughs> he tells his parents that he saw what he saw with the UFO, and his dad threatens to spank him for having an imagination. Jesus Christ! His dad shouldn't see his so, room; it's full of like imaginative stuff. Yeah, he's got a ton of like Captain America memorabilia and a book on Marvel Comics, which is kind of weird. Wait, yeah, so is that Stan Lee? Is that a young Daniel Lee? No, listen. So just so you know. Uh, Marvel Comics actually exist here in Earth in Earth 616, but it's more comics like documenting the adventures of of, main, of mainstream superheroes like the Fantastic Four and stuff. That one statement is hurting my brain. So like, 
So this kid can pick up a comic book about this? Um, probably not this because I don't think the Defenders are like a mainstream hero. But you, like, you could probably get something about like Galactus and stuff like that with like the that the Fantastic Four fought. Okay. Yeah. So the kid, and they basically just call him the thirteen-year-old because they studiously don't want to say his name. Uh, sneaks out to see the UFO just as Nighthawk arrives on the scene of the ship. It's ca- it's called the Captain America on like the side of the ship, and it's extremely Star Trek inspired with like a disc in the front and then uh, uh, nasal engines on the back, basically. Yeah. And they lampshade it by Nighthawk referencing the book Star Trek Lives, which is a Star Trek ref- reference book that had been released recently when this comic came out. And the show itself had been off the air for about six years when, the, when Giant Size Defenders 5 comes out, just FYI. Interesting. Yeah, so a panel slides open and we meet the Guardians of the Galaxy. Or the old ones, I guess. Uh, there's Vance Astro, clad head-to-toe in black and silver, the last survivor of the 20th century. He shoots energy beams. There's Yondu, last of the barbaric blue-skinned natives of Alpha Century 4. He must have been injured in the crash pretty bad because his mohawk is positively wilted. <laughs> Poor guy. Yondu is actually the only member of this original team that appear in the movie. Um... In the Guardians movie, he's the blue-skinned guy played by Michael Rooker. He's got the whistle arrows. Yeah, yeah. Both characters have arrows that they control by whistling, but this Yondu is more explicitly like an archer. And then the last member of the team, or sorry, then there's Martin X, a crystal dude, and last of the Plutonians. And I'll tell you that the last member of the team is the big guy from the Muggers, uh, whose name is Charlie 27, and he's the last of the Jupitorians. Um... And we cut to him sort of running, basically crashing through the doors of a hospital because they were asking too many questions <laughs> and he doesn't want to answer them and cause a time paradox. Charlie does see the defenders fighting Elar and is pretty impressed. So back at the ship, uh, Nighthawk introduces himself and he, Vance, and Yondu teleport to the site of the fight with the defenders just as the Guardians of the Galaxy. And just as they meet up, the Guardians and the defenders try to fight Elar, but Elar flies away. And the Hulk jumps off in hot pursuit. Elar's got a bunch of powers for being just like a fish man. Yeah, he's like can fly. He's got electricity things. He's super strong. He's got nonsensical like dialogue. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but so whatever they they eventually they follow Elar and they find him in the middle of a forest, sort of fighting a tree for no reason. And while he does that, uh, Doctor Strange and the Guardians figure out what's going on. Um, especially after the Guardians explain that they're from the future and stuff. Basically, an item from the future, a helmet full of war propaganda from an evil race called the Badoon, fell into a swarm of electric eels, like through a time portal, and the temporal energy caused one of the eels to turn into Elar, who is now running amok, basically mindlessly. Which I think is a pretty rad origin story for this eel guy. He just just happened to be swimming by at the right time, and he, he found this time helmet and now he's just insane and he's super powerful there are a lot of superheroes who have very similar origin stories actually if you think about it yeah i know that a lot of it kind of boils down to luck but i think that you are maybe i just think that he's like a cool character and so i i I like the origin more so he's kind of fun he kind of yeah so he's basically now just kind of running around mindlessly spouting the pre-taped propaganda from the helmet yeah he's he's like a weird Godzilla. Yeah, kind of a mini Godzilla. Yeah, a mini Godzilla. Like a pocket Godzilla. Yeah. 
So the whole team, so the both teams team up to beat up Elar. And the last minute, Doctor Strange turns him back into like an eel, and they go to toss him into the water. Basically, it's like, can you have just like turned him into an eel sooner instead of like beating him up and stuff? No, you, you gotta so- you gotta soften him up before you throw the pokeball, bro. You know that. I do all too well. <laughs> so back at the sanctum, the two teams wrap up. Uh, the Guardians explain that they've come they've come to the past from the year uh, thirty fifteen to learn how previous heroes, the Silver Surfer mostly fought off a previous invasion by the Badoon, because the Badoon have, have fully conquered the solar system in their future. Unfortunately, nobody but the Silver Surfer himself would know about that, so it looks like the mission has failed. Doctor Strange disagrees, though, as he has some ideas for fighting in the future, but first, these time travelers have to go home now before something bad happens. And meanwhile, back at the ship, we learn the kid's real name. It's Vance Astrovic, but he means to change to Vance Astro. Paradox alert! <laughs> so apparently, um, the writing for this comic was a mess. Like, the paragraph credits at the start kind of mask the fact that there's six credited writers on this issue. <laughs> and apparently, what it was was that Gerber had an idea for Elar, like the start of it, but couldn't figure out how to resolve it. And it had already sort of begun to be drawn. And he sort of was like, I don't know how to finish this comic. So he, so they basically formed some sort of writing Avengers team to go together and work out how this comic should end. If it works in the books, it works in life. Hey, but that's why it kind of ends weirdly where it's like, oh yeah, this monster, yeah, this Neil, bro. Yeah. Get back to the ocean, buddy. <laughs> so, and we go to Defenders 26 from August 1975. Savage Time. Steve Gerber, writer. Sal Buscema and Vince Coletta, artist. Karen Mantlo, letterer. Irene Varentoff, colorist, Len Wine, editor. Uh, so we start with Valkyrie and Jack Norris hanging out in the New Jersey Palisades, with him acting like Valkyrie is just a teenager going through a phase. All right, get it through your head, buddy. Barbara Norris is gone. Yeah. She was driven insane by being forced to mate with an extra-dimensional god being called the Nameless One. Then the spirit of a Norse mythological figure was grafted onto her body by a powerless sorceress from Asgard. What's so hard to understand? Look, it'd be hard to believe if you hadn't gotten to where you are on the back of a Pegasus. <laughs> so he tries to uh, kiss her memory back, and it's extremely awkward. And basically, Jack Norris is the worst. So, the planet, so, the, so the entire Earth throws him off a cliff. The planet Earth agrees with me, and there's a giant earthquake, <laughs> sending Norris falling to his doom until Val saves him again on the back of her Pegasus, Aragorn. So back at the alternate Defenders base at Nighthawk's Ranch in upstate New York, the two teams discuss how the Guardians of the Galaxy's presence in the past is messing up weather patterns and causing earthquakes and stuff. It's time for them to go back to 3015 A.D., Doctor Strange teleports the ship along with Martin X and young Vance Astrovic to the headquarters upstate where they begin repairs. Unneeded for fixing the ship, Vance Astro goes to talk to his younger self and basically gives the future history of his Earth. They present this as our future, but in the long term this stuff will be continued the will be considered the actual future of Earth six ninety one, as opposed to the main timeline of Earth six one six. And our Earth is Earth-1218, just for reference. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, you know, just in case you need to t- tune a dial. Figure out, yeah, if, if you don't know where you are, just you know, remember that handy little tip. Yeah, 
I'm from Earth 1218, and I need to see my mom. <laughs> so I'm not going to go too far into this future stuff, because it doesn't really have much bearing on our story. But some highlights include a destroyed ozone layer causing widespread skin cancer epidemics in 1982, leading to widespread replacement of limbs with cybernetics. Uh, Vance Astro being sent on a thousand-year journey through space in 1988 a series of bionic wars over Earth's dwindling food supplies in the 1990s, a creation of a global confederation being um, in 1995, and an invasion and conquest of Earth by Martians in 2001. <laughs> Straight, like, classic attack. Yeah, H.G. Wells, yeah. crazy tripod, alien, uh, Martian. Super good. Yeah. Uh, then a bunch of other stuff happens. The key part of this timeline is that it affirmatively places Martian Hunter of the 2070s Kill Raven in a, Mar- in a Marvel continuity, and it explains both the exploration of Alpha Centauri, which gives us Yondu, and the forced evolution of human beings to live on other planets, which gives us Martin X and Charlie 27. The story ends with Earth being attacked and conquered by an evil race, the Brotherhood of Badoon. In the future, the Guardians of the Galaxy have managed to liberate New York City, thanks to the time-traveling punches of Captain America and the Thing, but now it's time to continue the fight. And so while telling young Vance this story, older Vance tries very hard to be vague and not actually say that the story he's telling his younger self is about Earth, but he needn't have bothered because, as usual, Doctor Strange wipes young Astrovic's memory of all this happening. Yep. I was worried that wasn't going to happen this episode, i got to say. I, I do love that there's like, oh, you don't know the planet I'm talking about. It lives in Canada. Basically. <laughs> kind of a funny thing, actually, is that this kid, uh, Vance Astrovic, will grow up to be a completely different superhero in the 616 continuity. He'll be a guy named Justice on the um, New Warriors team. So the ship is fixed, just as Valkyrie and Jack return from their date or whatever. Uh, and it's time to go to space. Jack tries to tell ba- to keep Barbara from getting on board, and Valkyrie tells him on no uncertain terms, one, don't touch her, two, get lost. And he should take the hint because he's being kind of a creeper. Yeah, that just got her on that ship fast. Exactly. So Doctor Strange teleports the ship to space and then warps it to the future with a wave of his hand. With unusually powerful Doctor Strange for a Defender's story, this issue. Is it, though? Is it unusually powerful? He's awake, I mean, so he's just going to be, like, throwing out magical you know, gestures. I mean, I've seen Defender's story where all Doctor Strange does is shoot beams. Yeah, I, we just read like, one where all he does is sleep. As part of a fight and stuff. But, I mean, when he's active, he just shoots beams and stuff, as opposed to this, where he's, he teleports the spaceship at least tw- He teleports the spaceship twice and then warps it uh, a thousand years in the future. I mean, that's pretty cool. I respect you, buddy, but you're not going to pull this trick on me because we also read a comic where... He just sort of turns off any bad thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying that Doctor Strange's powers vary wildly in the in, in Defenders. Yep. So let's go with that. <laughs> and now it's time for us to fight the Badoon with possibly the help of a mysterious guy named Starhawk or whatever. So we go to <laughs> Defenders 27 from September 1975. Three worlds to conquer. Steve Gerber, writer, Sal Buscema, Vince Coletta, artist, Joe Rosen, letterer, Al Wenzel, colorist, Len Wine, editor. This is the first time we're seeing him, and yes, Joe Rosen is the brother of 
uh, Silver Age letter Sam Rosen. Yeah, so anyway, nepotism um, in these comic books. I mean, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but all the all the comics that were written by Len Wein were colored by his dead wife, Glennis Wein. It's a insular industry. <laughs> so on the Guardian of the Galaxy ship, the uh, Captain America, they all arrive in the future, where it's immediately picked up by Badoon sensors. They could blow the ship up right away, but the Supreme Badoon has other plans. And when Valkyrie, Vance Astro, the Hulk, and Yondu try to beam down to Earth, their signals are instead diverted to parts unknown. And who's there to start yelling at people instead of finding a solution? Freaking Jack Norris. <laughs> he stowed away and is the worst. Yeah, you gotta have someone that everyone else can hate. I mean, he's a... He's a fiery heel in these comics. <laughs> it's insane. Anyhow, so Vance and Valkyrie land on a swamp planet where they are immediately attacked by hairy lizard people. I'll mention that the re- the Brotherhood of Badoons are uh, sort of regular lizard people without hair and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they just have uh, like cool mohawks if you're the king. Yeah. So Vance is swarmed immediately and Val tries to fight the monsters off but finds herself getting weaker and weaker, eventually passing out. Vance finally manages to blast them off, and they're and while they're momentarily def- um, confused because these monsters kind of look like the Badoon, but the Badoon are normally hairless. And suddenly, a glowing figure appears. They explain that these hairy monsters are female Badoons. And yeah, uh, back on the ship, Martin X is trying to figure out what's going on, but not fast enough for Mister Jack Norris, who grabs a wrench and starts getting violent. So Doctor Strange freezes him magically to kind of just put him in timeout. I'm sure you were happy for that. Good. That's what I say. I like Martin X a lot. His design is really cool. He's just like a, yeah, a geode man. Mm-hmm. But I also worry that like the artists signed up for something that would be more difficult than they really wanted in the long run. I think that <laughs> sometimes in some shots he looks really cool and he's very angular. And in other kind of shots, he kind of looks like old versions of the Spider-Man villain Shocker, where he's just got a bunch of lines mm. all over him. Yeah, there are some shortcuts taken in certain shots, angles of him for sure. Yeah. So Yondu and the Hulk uh, are magically transported, or I guess technologically transported, to this weird anachronistic planet. The most annoying town you could ever be in. It's basically a, pl- a cross between like medieval peasants and like hippies. Yep, literally worse. They don't have plumbing, and they're just... All getting drunk. Like, everybody either has, like, a tunic or, like, a leisure suit on (laughs) or, like, (laughs) a a flower shirt with, like, a a popped collar and a medallion or something like that. And they're all drunk on wine and rolling around. Just gross. There's not even, like, hardwood floor. It's just dirt. Yep. No, these guys are awful. (laughs) So Hulk and uh, Yondu talk around or, or try to talk to everybody. But shockingly... This distant planet and the year 315, people don't speak English. Which I'm actually grateful for. Let's just get out of here. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty. It's an interesting choice. Yeah. But so they basically cause a problem and are eventually confronted by uh, soldier robots who do speak English and charge them with disrupting the festival of death. I'd never. And tried. I never thought I'd be so happy to see oppressive robots. <laughs> They're better than hippies. <laughs> Better than peasant hippies, I should say. Yeah, hippies are basically okay. I think they get a bad rap. They do get a bad rap, but like these medieval hippies, hippies, they're no good. (laughs) They're no good at all. They have sunglasses and tunics. I don't like it. But so Yondu and the Hulk beat the crap out of these robots, destroying them all. 
And then a giant robot shows up and says, you killed my babies. And I more questions. Them. It's sad, man. He killed that thing's babies. The robot seems really distraught yeah. and hits him with eye beams that uh, place them in thrall. <laughs> and then back at the ship. Yeah, back on the ship, Doctor Strange has been wired into the ship's sensors to find the missing team members. Why does he need that? Because he's... He can't, like... Doctor Strange is always limited by the planet, man. He's got to go... He's going, like, interstellar with his scanning here. All right. So this creates a massive amount of power, which disrupts the Badoon's uh, electronic spying on the Guardians and makes the Badoon think that the Guardians have some some crazy new power source they have to attack. Uh, Back... Meanwhile, the glowing figure heals Valkyrie's wounds with magic light and introduces himself as Starhawk. And now Val and Vance are in his debt. The child of a star and a hawk. And he looks like it, too. Yeah. He actually looks he's like the like, tick. He's got, yeah, he's got kind of a light blue outfit with sort of some yellow detailing, basically. Meanwhile, again, the big robot takes Hulk and Yondu to the king of this crazy castle hippie planet, and they're sentenced to appear in the upcoming games, and Hulk is ordered to get some new clothes. <laughs> Finally, on the ship... That's the last straw. All right, you can have like a planet of, of non-English-speaking, just hippie love children and oppressive <laughs> robots, but don't dare dress the Hulk. Oh, they do it. Finally, intruder alarms blare on the Captain America. The Badoon elite guard has teleported in. And on this cliffhanger, we move to the next issue, Morning Star. And it's a morning, but both a U, so it's like a play on words. (laughs) I just want to say, like, some of the Badoon are allowed to have pants, and some of them are not. And I'm just kind of wondering if that's like a ranking system. I don't know. I think the Elite Guard is a bunch of different species or something. It's kind of a multicultural uh, war thing or something. Okay. They just do each their own. Yeah, I feel like they don't do a lot of pants enforcement. Yeah, chase your pants bliss. Be your true pants self. Unless unless it's jorts, then you can... <laughs> All right. Defenders 28 from October 1975. My mother, the Badoon. <laughs> Steve so Gerber... Yeah, it's, there's some good puns. There's some good puns coming up, too. Uh, Steve Gerber, writer, Sal Buscema, artist, Frank Giacoa, and John Tartag, embellishers, Joe Rosen, letterer, Al Wenzel, colorless, colorist, and Marv Wolfman, editor. Len Wein is out. Wolfman is in. <laughs> this was actually teased a little bit in the last issue as um, there was a footnote and it was credited to Marv and not Len. Just FYI. Oh, man. Already he's encroaching. Yeah. He's a, you know, powerful political operator or something. But so there's four different plot lines in this one, so try to keep up. <laughs> Aboard the Captain America, there's a Brotherhood of Bedouin boarding party looking for a powerful new source of power, which is actually Doctor Strange hooked up to the ship's computer. Some sort of, like, Clockwork Orange-esque oh, yeah. techno chair. Yeah, as he as Doctor Strange in turn is looking for Valkyrie, the Hulk, Vance, Anch- Vance Astro, and Yondu. Um, so the Elite Guard is up against Nighthawk, Martin X, and Charlie Twenty Seven. The fight rages until Nighthawk is taken down by the Badoons and held hostage, forcing the others to surrender. So meanwhile, Doctor Strange is astral projecting through the computer, and he finds Val and Vance. They're being led around the planet by the mysterious Starhawk further explaining how the hairy monsters they fought last issue were indeed female Badoons, and that's why Valkyrie got so sick, because of her magical prevention from doing harm to women. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, so this is a sisterhood of Badoon as opposed to the Brotherhood. Yep. And Starhawk leads the two to a futuristic city 
Which it just the is fat- like it just cuts off. It's like crazy dense forest, and then you are in this like yeah. techno landscape. There's an orange like uh, space concrete curb. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the edge of the jungle, sort of leading to the city full of canals and big towers and crazy stuff. Yeah, but they're still like using the Venice like longboats. Well, it's called Venezia, the city of the Sisterhood of Badoon. Oh my gosh, I just yep. All right. You walked right into that one, buddy. Game, set, match. (laughs) Checkmate. (laughs) Um, So they're sort of amazed because the last time we saw this, you know, because last time we saw the sisters, they were just these uh, hairy death beasts. And how could they have built this crazy city? We'll find out. But first, back on the ship, uh, the captured Nighthawk and the Guardians are check on Doctor Strange. He's astral projecting, so they think he's dead. And these guys are taken off into custody. So, you know, it's a standard thing. Like, when Doctor Strange to Astral projects, his body appears to be dead. That's sort of how it goes. Yep. So so now we're... So now, sorry. All so, dressed up in armor. Yeah. The, uh, we, 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 we go to the planet of the Hulk and Yondu, where they're getting outfitted by robot toadies of the, junk, of the drunken Emperor Guzat. Hulk looks so <laughs> uncomfortable. He's in, he's in like a trance, which is why um, he's, they're able to put these this metal clothes on him. Yeah, I'm just projecting, it's, I guess, because I wouldn't want to wear what he's got on. It's basically like metal gloves, and in, in this first scene, it looks like metal pants, but later he'll have his Hulk pants back say, on. It, it, it lasts one page, and all of a sudden he's back yeah. to like Hulk pants, but he's got like metal underwear on. He's definitely got like a metal harness that goes covers the nethers and goes up to the shoulders and then it's com- and completely covers his head and stuff. Yeah. I think like the helmet would be a bummer but honestly metal pants sounds just like the lamest thing ever. I'm not even a and fan like, of normal pants more often than not. Sure. Plus like because the helmet is built into like the shoulder piece of the um of the armor it, you probably couldn't move your head that much which would be uncomfortable. Yeah. The Hulk's just going to bust out in that in like two seconds. He's having a bad day. But so it turns out that uh, Yondu and the Hulk are going to be competing in this game show called the Super Death Sweep- Sweepstakes. Hosted by Mark Summers. I mean, it's definitely a game show type guy. He's got a huge bow tie. <laughs> um, and it's a series of challenges. First, Yondu gets teleported to a room full of death robots, which he has to fight using a ball and chain. He finally w- he wins in the end. Yep. No worries. Yeah. Back on the, killing on more the, robo-babies. <laughs> it's sad if you think about it that <laughs> way, man. But so, back on the planet of the Badoon, uh, Valkyrie, Vance Astro, and Starhawk meet the queen of the Badoon, and she kind of explains the situation. Like, so, male and female Badoons are natural predators of each other, except during mating season, when they get together and do it, and then run away, essentially. Yeah. So eventually, the you know, as they evolve, the weaker but more cunning male Badoon Badoons enslaved the females until they eventually developed enough society to build starships and the males left the planet entirely. And now they basically just come back when it's mating season and they take all the eggs and hatch them and then ditch the females back on the home world, I guess. It's a weird system, but I guess it works for them. Yeah, they need their space. Yeah, and because they're just sort of stuck on the planet and don't really uh, bother anybody... The female Badoons were unaware that the male Badoons have, are conquering and genociding the universe. Gotta keep that stuff on lock. I guess, man. But so, Starhawk basically says, like, yep, the male Badoons are bad, and I'm gonna leave now. My planet needs me. He's got the weirdest mechanism for, like, he's got, like, a superhero cape, but it does it connects from, like, 
one. It's like two capes. It's like two capes. It's like kind of like wings or something like that. But they just connect like sort of just behind his shoulder blades and behind his knees, basically. Like his knee pit and his shoulder blades. Yeah. Yeah. And they sort of form like, I guess they're like solar sails or something. Yeah. But then he also grows them on his head, too. (laughs) Yeah. I can't tell if he always has those. No, he doesn't. Yeah. Definitely does not. He definitely grows them on his head. You're right. (laughs) So as Starhawk flies off, uh, Doctor Strange shows up and basically says like, oh, who's that weird guy flying through space? I'd like to buy a comic book about him in a month or two. (laughs) And he basically teleports Valkyrie and Vance away from the planet um, as the female, as the Badoon queen agrees to look into what the male Badoons are up to. And Vance and Valor teleported to Earth just in time to see Nighthawk, Martin X, and Charlie 27 about to be killed by a firing squad. They probably are going to be killed, so we don't need to do the next episode, I guess. Absolutely we don't. (laughs) Wait, no. The other thing. (laughs) Defenders 29. (laughs) Let my planet go. So good. Uh, Steve Gerber, writer. Sal Buscema and Vince Coletta, artists. John Costanza, letterer. Glynis Wine, colorist. Marv Wolfman, editor. All right, let's wrap up these Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so Valkyrie and Vance free Nighthawk, Martin X, and Charlie 27 from the firing squad, no problem. But they're in a fortress full of Badoons, so it's all-out war fight time. Mean- oh, good. No, I was just... I, I just love the whole... Everything coming to a head right now. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Astral Doctor Strange has found Hulk and Yondu, just has Hulk in his snazzy space gladiator outfit. Don't say snazzy, it's awful. I'm saying snazzy sarcastically. And uh, like some lady from the Emperor's harem that had fallen in love with Hulk while he was being held in thrall last issue and sort of hit on him a little bit. They both get teleported to this ice world. And of course, as being an ice world, it's covered with Robot ants. Yeah, I mean, that's the standard predator for ice, right? Yep. <laughs> Counters the typing. It's true. So the Hulk kicks the crap out of these giant robot ants. No problem. He's the Hulk. We all know it. Um, so then we look in on Starhawk, who's flying to his house, which is basically like on a suburban asteroid somewhere <laughs> in an air dome. You picked a good spot, though. Yeah, it's good. No, it's nice. He uh, chills out with his three blonde kids for a second and then consults his computer which is apparently like an icy blonde lady, and realizes. And she just kind of looks at him like he's a jerk. And he's like, okay, I'll go back and save the day, I suppose. <laughs> I thought I was going to get so, my own comic. Aw. Made soon enough, possibly. <laughs> so back on Earth, uh, the Guardians and the Defenders decide to fight against the impossible odds, even as the Hulk destroys a billion Mechano ants. The Hulk gets teleported back to the game show studio, and he's about to beat up the game show host when Doctor Strange teleports Hulk and Yondu back to Earth. So now the fight is truly on with seven team members wrecking shop. <laughs> uh, back on Starship Captain America, Jack Norris is able to move again and finds his way to Doctor Strange's dead body. And this is finally enough evidence to convince Norris that superheroes are real and doing good work. Like <laughs> he prompt what? What was the turning point? Like I guess that Doctor Strange sacrifice his life or something but he did oh he's so so dumb so just as he says this um just as he promised to be less of a jerk dr strange returns to his body he's alive (laughs) and he has a plan which jack offers to help and while strange is skeptical he takes him along yeah you can be my meat shield (laughs) basically 
<laughs> so Strange and Norris teleport down to the surface where they, and Doctor Strange mostly, easily defeat the Badoons in their fortresses. Uh, Steven and Jack make a world tour, teleporting to Badoon prison sites, freeing the people there, helping them fight back against Badoon jailers. Jack is basically along for the ride, and Doctor Strange wins the day. Yeah, by throwing up a bunch of rectangles. He's a powerful man. <laughs> He has control over all manner of shapes. I mean, isn't that what everybody has? Now you made me feel bad. I mean, don't you mostly just control shapes? I wish. When you do things? No. It's not like I barter. a pen, I barter with a shapes. Uh, circle thing? Okay, <laughs> that, that might be it too. Anyhow, after Doctor Strange saves the day, um, Starhawk shows up and Vance Astro yells at him by saying that he shows up after the battle's been fought. And Starhawk's basically like, whatever, bro. <laughs> and at this point, like, sort of as the tide is turned against the Badoon and stuff, uh, Doctor Strange teleports the Defenders back to 1975. I mean, sure, they could have stayed and wiped out the Badoon, but then what would Starhawk and the Guardians of the, and the Galaxy have to do in their new comic book on shelves now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that's kind of where it wraps up, honestly. Yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic. I think they did it on purpose so that you have, like, something to go by. Yeah, but I got to say, the big thing about this one is that I, I do like seeing a Doctor Strange comic being used to sell other comics, as opposed to Doctor Strange appearing in other people's comics to sell his comic. Yeah, it's, you know it's a I mean? big confidence booster. Yeah. <laughs> All Speaking right. of let's, Doctor Strange comics. Yeah, let's power through here to Doctor Strange 10 from October 1975. These are insane. Oh, alone against... Eternity. Steve Englehart, author, Gene Colan, artist, Frank Shiramonte, inks, Tom Orzakowski, letterer, Al Wenzel, colorist, Marv Wolfman, editor. An acid provided by the Furbisher ghost. <laughs> They're getting it from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, this is like, well, we'll get to it. I'm, I'll call it out as it happens. We're there, man. The very first shot <laughs> is Strange looking into a mirror, and there's a door opening up over his reflection into nothingness, and I can't even describe that because now I sound like I'm in the loony bin. Basically, this story is the only way it could be more explicitly about um, taking LSD is if Doctor Strange actually took LSD in the comic. Yep. <laughs> but so it starts with him sort of having a uh, in a reverie about the nature of magic and stuff when it's disturbed by a mad howling, and he's met in the sanctum by a Rama Khalif and Lord uh, Fife who were two of the wizards that came to help during the business with Dormammu last episode, before Strange blew them off. And they're worried about the howling, and Doctor Strange reveals it to be Baron Mordo. What? Yeah. Apparently Mordo's been stuck in a canatotic state since Sisenag became God and remade the universe. So um, it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's hard to blame him. Yeah. So now that he's making noise, his condition has changed, so Strange goes to check on him. He finds himself falling through a mad dreamscape. <laughs> Now, you were saying that this is one of the points where a lot of like the artists and, and pretty much everyone started experimenting with LSD. That's definitely like in this book that I read, uh, Marvel Comics, The Secret History. Um, they really talk about a lot of writers and especially the writers on Doctor Strange comics, actually like Steve Englehart mm -hmm. and Steve Gerber and stuff, all those guys um, like taking acid and then just walking around New York and getting... I, ideas for stories is sort of for what they see in their altered states and stuff. And I think like, you know, I think that it, it really, I don't, I don't want to say that it like helps, but it, you know, Stephen Strange being a comic of weird landscapes and, and visuals, it, it's definitely I mean, like 
provided some sort of inspiration. Yeah, I mean, if there's any story where, like, being on hallucinogens would be helpful, it's got to be Doctor Strange, right? But the contrast there is that some of the writing is so nonsensical, and there's a lot of, like, pontificating, and it kind of comes across as, like, they... They seem like that they're being really deep, but then if you're sober and you read it, you're like, "What are you people doing?" This is real. This is really the case in this comic, <laughs> and and it makes it even hard to follow. And I I'm not going to call it like specific parts, but there will just be points where they're like inside a building, and then all of a sudden they're outside with like everyone else and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to track. Yeah, I'm going to try to do my best. Yep. I'm going to seriously am. But so Strange and Mordo are falling through this dreamscape, and um. Like nightmare shows up and it's crazy, and so Doctor Strange just tries to put um, Mordo like in a coma. He casts a spell. Vapors of Valtor swirled round thy brow. May the moon's mists of Morpheus envelop thee now, and knocks out Mordo completely. Mm-hmm. Returns so, them back to the normal plane. Yeah, they return back to the normal plane to like you know a room in the Sanctum Sanctorum. And before he does, yeah, like I said, Strange gets a glimpse of the evil Nightmare, his oldest and most unusual foe. The greatest pun-based adversary. He's riding a horse. Yep. <laughs> but so Mordo and Strange get teleported back to the, the Sanctum, and ever the excellent host, Strange doesn't explain what just happened to his guests and walks away to brood. <laughs> Luckily, his uh, brooding is interrupted by Clea, who's sort of playful, and the two snog briefly. She ha- so we've always referred to her as lady with the weird hair. Yeah. Her hair is like fully the weirdest I've ever seen it. It's in maximum weirdness right now. It, it kind of comes up in like a weird, yeah, in like a yeah. a gnome cap or something. Yeah, and it almost looks like that she's like wearing a wig to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> but so as they kiss, they notice the sky is falling. Oh, yeah. Hundreds <laughs> of planets and stars seem to be flying directly at Earth. And it seems bad until Doctor Strange realizes the truth that standing before him, framed against absolute black emptiness, there stands eternity. He's back. I just want to say real quick. So it's yeah. Clea who points out that the sky is falling and Stephen Strange just thinks to himself like, oh, she doesn't understand like the goof she made. And she's like, Stephen, read the room. Things are going crazy. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and like, so basically, um, he, Eternity stands in front of like the Sanctorum being huge and ev- all the people of New York City get out sta- get out of the street and just stare at this insane monster. Yeah, everything's crazy. The sky is melting. Planets are like dissolving into nothingness. And it's taking the form of like a guy with a face, yep. basically. So Doctor Strange is like, uh, okay, boop. And he just makes the, uh, he just hides, makes e- Eternity invisible basically i never thought i would say this but i kind of wish that he mind wiped people because everyone's on the ground and they're just like wait where did all the craziness go i don't care yeah no they didn't yeah this is the one time he doesn't explicitly mind wipe everybody after something weird happens. yeah and it's the single weirdest thing that could have happened i mean everybody turning into demons and everybody and being attacked yeah but they got mind wiped was for that. pretty weird yeah that's true i'm just saying <laughs> the weirdest possible thing fair enough whatever <laughs> so um Doctor Strange, yeah, he astral projects to the Himalayas to consult with aged Genghis, who is the only living man with knowledge of eternity. And he finds Genghis sort of near comatose, not unlike Mordo. He tries to, like, get Genghis to stand up and then maybe take him to the Sanctum for his own safety. 
But when he tries to, Genghis is attacked by these crazy snake monsters. So more, so Doctor Strange just kind of leaves him there, like he can't move them, basically. Mm-hmm. But as he's doing this, uh, Mordo breaks free. He wakes up and runs un- like an unthinking beast into the night. And the art here is so cool. <laughs> I love the art in this comic as much as I wish that they had someone who was like straight edge writing it. Yeah, it does a really good job of sort of showing you how mad Mordo is as, like, yeah. Nightmare rides his horse through his dreams and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. In these in these two comics that we're going to be discussing, I love mm-hmm. Mordo so much. He's so interesting, even, like, obviously he's, he's like, a gibbering fool and he's just kind of, like, lost his, his marbles. Mm-hmm. But I think that he is probably the most interesting aspect of these comics. Like, I want to know what's going on with him because he's so driven. Yeah. Yeah, even in like his insanity, the like the the narration does a really good job of sort of showing you how that he's driven by this force that he's figuring things out, even though he isn't in his right mind and he can't really understand what's happening to him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so while uh, but so but but so back at his body, um, Doctor Strange uses his amulet to try to contact Eternity and finds him and finds himself growing and becoming one with the Eternal Being. So Doctor Strange is now in contact with Eternity, and Eternity promises doom. The world will soon end, because man is too connected and able to communicate with other humans. Insane. This This will force conflict between people, and eventually the final war will come. And like, this is in 1975, Duncan. No, I get that. Eternity will be so pissed about the internet. (laughs) But like, he... Eternity, I should not say he, but Eternity is really, he talks about how, like, people are trying to, you know, establish themselves and they're getting, like, too guarded, but then there's also, like, too much, like, communication. Like, he, Eternity cannot make up its mind. No. He's, yeah. This whole thing doesn't make a ton of sense. It barely makes any sense. But whatever. And and especially the next part where basically um, Doctor Strange argues that humanity isn't dead yet and that this war can be averted. And Eternity pulls the old, uh, how can you humans find peace with each other when you, Doctor Strange, can't even find peace among yourself? And he demands that Doctor Strange confront four different versions of himself. The pre-accident arrogant Doctor... The pre-mystic in um, training drunken sot, an early version of his mystic self, and the superhero version of himself in the sixties that I do not like very much at all. Yeah, two of them should be a pretty easy fight because they don't have magical abilities. Uh, we'll see. It gets weird. It gets so weird. <laughs> if you thought it wasn't weird, it's about to get weird. So as this happens, uh, Mordo escapes the Sanctum Sanctorum, howls at the moon, and makes his escape. But not. So he makes his astralisk. It's important to note his no, body's still his... on the roof. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> makes his astral escape, so which is just as good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we go to our final issue, Doctor Strange number 11 from December 1975. Shadow Play. Steve Englehart, author. Gene Colan, artist. Tom Palmer, inks and color. John Costanza, letterer. Marv Wolfman, editor. And I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, that's just rock and roll. Like this really seems like where everybody's on LSD at this point. People can't even draw like a <laughs> can't even draw a full Stephen Strange without like losing their focus. <laughs> yeah, just making wavy oh. lines or an eyeball randomly. 
So Doctor Strange walks through these mystic mists until he meets a version of himself in surgical scrubs who hands him an invitation to the Dance of the Red Death in the House of Mirrors. Rip off! <laughs> I mean, they call it out. Yep. Uh, Strange accepts and finds himself on a majestic estate in the middle of a dinner party, and everyone at the party is Stephen Strange. Except for one dude. Well, wait, hold on. I just want to say that there's like, it's not just one version of him. There's doctors, there's soldiers, there's priests, a a lot of businessmen versions. All walks of Strange. Yeah. And uh, the Surgeon Strange leads our Doctor Strange through the party to a guy named The Master. He's sitting on a throne wearing a Nixon mask. Audible groan. It's funny because uh, Strange uh, reminds reminds himself that Nixon resigned recently. Yep. Which isn't true. What? Wait, what? In the the Marvel Universe, Nixon didn't resign. He committed suicide in front of Captain America when Captain America revealed him to be the leader of the Secret Empire, a supervillain organization. Right. Which I'll I'll never stop saying when it comes up. No, and you should, but I just think like, okay, if you're gonna do a comic while you're like tripping, that's one thing. But if you're gonna be like all political about it and not even like good with how you do it, come on. It's really it's a really weird choice. So bad. Like this guy wearing a Nixon mask to do whatever. I, I love the art so much in, in these two comics, and they're really really cool, and they really like play to the visual. And and the the magical sense a, of strange. Yeah, but it's such a weird choice to have a Nixon mask. Yeah, I can I can just envision these people while they were like on acid talking about like, oh man, let's just like really you know put the screw to Nixon. He he hasn't gotten it like bad enough. You'll have him be a representation of paranoia and anger and fear and stuff. Yeah. But so uh, the master orders Doctor Strange imprisoned because being a wizard is too weird. Uh, Strange disagrees, but when he tries to use his magic, he realizes that he's lost his powers, and the other Stranges swarm him. And he makes a whole like claim. He's like, oh, I'm also trained in the martial arts, but it doesn't do anything because he gets a lead pipe to the dome. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the hard part about life, you know. Also, the, there's a point where the chandelier crashes for, like, no reason. Do you know what's going on with that, or is this just... Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's, yep, like half of this page is just dedicated to a thing that has no purpose. I feel like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I couldn't tell you. It doesn't seem like it's, I don't know, it's just sort of a general people fighting around or something thing. Yeah. But so we cut back to the real world where Clea worries that Stephen is, what, what Stephen is up to, and everybody finds out that Mordo has escaped. They're on the roof. They should see his body. They don't, but I'm just saying. Maybe they're in a different part of the roof or something. It's a big There's old a lot of roof. real estate up there. Yeah. <laughs> so back in the other world, um, our Doctor Strange finds himself in a dungeon with his drunk, with the uh, drunken, self-loathing post-accident Doctor Strange or Stephen Strange, I guess. I think you're being too negative. We should just call it a fungin. It is a fungin. Yeah. Because Eternity's there. There's some rats. And I think uh, Drunk Doctor Strange is, in fact, boozing while he's drink- while he's down there. Well, he was until Strange landed on the bottle, sliced his yeah, arm that's open. True. <laughs> but so uh, at this point, uh, Eternity shows up to gloat about Doctor Steve about Stephen's uh, hopelessness and lets him know that he can still use his amulet to shine a light of truth on things, which hasn't really been a power of the amulet up until this point. But whatever, Doesn't I guess. Doesn't really feel like it's a power now because he just like flashes and he's like, "Oh, yep, this is real." Yeah, I mean, that's a thing, I guess. Yeah. But whatever. He uses the light to find that part of the dungeon has been dug out by drunk, and, by drunk Strange. I thought he just, like, accidentally le- leaned against the stone. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, literally, this light thing doesn't help at all. <laughs> this, uh, maybe take, but like, we, you know... Go ahead, yeah. Not so much acid. <laughs> but so, uh, our strange tr- uh, sees that the tunnel's nearly complete, actually, and starts to uh, burrow through. Yeah, because Drunk Strange has tr- been doing some work. Yeah, but Drunk Strange, to protect that work, comes up behind our strange about to hit him in the head with a chain. As we cut back to Mordo in astral form, called by some strange, unseen force. Mordo looks really cool in this comic. His his robes are doing some neat stuff yeah. in astral form. It's funny because when when Doctor Strange astral projects, usually his robes don't come with him. Mm-hmm. He's just naked this entire time. We've not have well, we mentioned no. that in the podcast? He's naked every time he goes into his astral form. Come on, man! <laughs> he wears like his his like blouse and uh, and uh, tights and stuff. Yeah, he just doesn't bring the. Uh, the cloak of levitation with him. That has to come separately, like when they fight Mr. Rasputin. It's true. So meanwhile, um, Doctor Strange is about to get hit by this chain, but Clay is like meditating and sends him a warning just in time. And R. Strange takes out Drunk Strange and ties him up and then crawls through the uh, no, hold on one tunnel to, to, to freedom. I love this moment so much. So he gets R. Strange gets the warning and he dodges at the last second out of the way of the chain. Mm-hmm. And he says like, Oh, you drunken fool! You don't believe in yourself or anyone else now, do you? And like, it's all your fault. And then the drunk Stephen Strange calls out, like, "Well, if you trusted me, you wouldn't have turned around, and then I would have hit you in the face with this chain." Like, what is your argument? Than the rest of us. What is your <laughs> argument, bro? Uh, but so yeah, he yeah. pulls himself out of the ground like the Shawshank style. Yeah, that is good drunk logic, though. Yeah. Of enough. like, you betrayed me. That's why I don't trust. Like, I want to trust you, but you betrayed me. <laughs> and like, well, maybe if you didn't think I was going to betray you, I wouldn't have. Betray- <laughs> yeah, it was a strange. Um, Andy Dufresne's way out of the uh, <laughs> out of the tunnel, and then finds a surgeon version of himself and does the oldest trick in the book: knocks him out and takes his clothes. So it gets weirder from this point. So. Doctor Strange is now, so our Strange is now dressed as Surgeon Strange, and he's walking through the party, and it's almost midnight, and we're sort of reminded that this party is like the Mask of the Red Death or something like that. Yep, just in case you forgot, that's what they're doing. Which would, you could easily, good. Um, yep. <laughs> There's a lot so he, you could forget. Yeah, but so our Strange, in disguise, sort of makes his way through the party and tries to uh, talk to the Master and get him alone. But as he does this, uh, Drunk Strange shows up from the prison and rats out our strange just being so a monster. You locked me in the prison, but I'm still on your side. What is going on? This guy is too drunk. Yeah, he's like a sniveling whatever, man. So he's like willing to sell people out to like get, um, get some kind of thing because he's like greedy and venial and stuff like that, you know? But it like doesn't even matter because like Nixon Strange already knew that he was magical Doctor Strange and he <laughs> he pulls off his, his doctor gown and he's wearing his full Doctor Strange clothing underneath it. Yeah, it just pops right and back up. he's never had a bigger collar in any comic ever. So where was I, that? Where was he hiding I, that? I feel like it's just a dream. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm not... Gonna, I'm, I'm kind of closing things up. Everything is so weird right now. He's got in a room with a million Stranges, and one of them is wearing a Nixon mask. So we'll let that slide. Especially at this point, the Red Death shows up. And actually, I think this kind of is... It was... Like, I read this the first time, like, late at night, and was kind of creeped out by it. Red Death looks spooky. I'm not even going to make any qualms about that. Like, he's a bright red head and a big flowing purple coat, and, or cloak, and, like, the master had said, like, 
any moment now, the Red Death himself, and then the Red Death shows up and he says, Yes? <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he is uh, too spooky for me. He's pretty spooky, dude. And so the Red Death basically shows up and just starts killing strangers, basically. Yep. Let's see, we lose a Priest Strange and a Medic Strange. One other Doctor Strange, and then some kind of green-clothed Strange. Yeah, nondescript. Yeah. And so Doctor Strange, so our Strange said this madness has gone on enough. And he shines his light of truth onto the master, revealing that it's another Doctor Strange beneath the Nixon mask. We already knew that, but yep. It was definitely implied. Like, but, you know, uh, the mask is like this weird goopy melting yeah, well, the light, thing. Yeah, the light like melts it. And so then Doctor Strange and so then our strange turns his light of truth on the red death, and his evil red death mask melts away to the mask of comedy, like a smiling it's, face. And, and he gets way creepier. And he basically says, like uh Hey, when last you met, I wore the mask of infinity. Meet me again, and I'll wear another. Like what? Death. Wait. Death is a mask. It doesn't Dr. make Strange. any sense because the eternity oh, talks oh. about death being his brother, and now the crimson death is like. I guess yeah, he's death too. He's death and remember, too, he met and he's death also eternity, and he's comedy. And, and remember how we met? How Doctor Strange met Death previously when we were in the Orb of Agamotto and stuff. Yep. yep. It's cool. Yeah, that was cool. Death making a surprise reappearance in the in the uh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, there's also the the last line that he gives before he leaves is he says, "Death is a mask, Doctor Strange. Au revoir," which means that underneath all of those masks, it's Gambit. I don't want to talk about Gambit. Yeah. So, or it's probably just masks all the way down. Who knows? So the master is bummed out because now he's lost the mask, which made him special, and he can't rule the strangers. Yeah, so just like, so like pouts. Yeah. So now eternity shows up and like tries to explain a moral that like pride and paranoia is bad and corrupting. Bad. And Doctor Strange rightfully is like, of course I know that. (laughs) Like I'm not an idiot. (laughs) Like that's why I keep myself away from the world so I can focus on protecting it as a sorcerer supreme. And eternity then like uh, decides to to, uh, change tax and asking Strange what he's done that makes him so great. And Strange responds, like, I learned sorcery, man. I'm the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, and he's been his power for good and stuff. Get off my back. Surely my magic can fix this calamity you're predicting. And this is like the answer that uh, the Big E was looking for (laughs) as he teleports Doctor Strange to the Temple of the Ancient One. But he's been saying that he has magic the entire time. And he's like, see where your sorcery takes you. (laughs) Like, Eternity put him on some no-nonsense random errand that was made not a lick of sense and then he comes back and he's saying the exact same stuff and attorney's like good you have learned what i have taught you what are you doing bro you know whatever anyway at the same time the spirit of mordo arrives at the cave of aged genghis and there's something going on here See? it's mysterious and actually well handled as opposed to the a plot of this comic. Yeah, I'm like really invested. I want to see what's going on with Mordo. Yeah. Next week, the end of the world. Oh, I guess it's going to be the end of the world. Spoilers. <laughs> it's good. It, it, it actually is. Oh my gosh. Um, hey, Duncan, what did you think about this week's issue? Issues. Oh, well, we definitely went on a journey together between it's true. the racist snakes and Guardians of the Galaxy that I've never been privy to. And then, yeah, they, these are the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. It's crazy. And then the most nonsensical drug fuel. Like, if you've ever had a buddy who's been really drunk or on on one, and they're trying to talk really, deep, and you're you're not on that same sort of like road that they're you're, going you, down. Yeah, you aren't on their level. Yeah, 
it's basically like that. And it's like, I can't, I can't grok to some of this stuff because guess what? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but Oh man, next week is going to be really, you're really going to love next week. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm super excited. The art in the even strange comics are pretty good. They're not as good as the, uh, the ones with the silver dagger. Yeah, that, those were that those were real high points. Yeah, those sure. are pretty much going to be what I judge everything by from this point on. But they're cool. It was really yeah. If it, if it was a little easier to follow, I'd appreciate that. Also, if the story made maybe one point of sense, that would be <laughs> that would be just so cool. That'd be yeah. cool, cool. I gotta say, I I really love Eternity. That's yeah. why I always that you know just I I love his look. I love like sort of he's half a face and his body's this huge scar- starscape. Anytime he shows up, I get giddy yeah. because I'm just I really love um, the character design of him and stuff. And I think when the artists are tripping on acid, they do an even better job just making him a free formed entity. You know, yeah. there's a lot of cool shots where Stephen Strange is just a silhouette and then he's got like an endless starscape inside him. And then mm-hmm. Eternity is like an exploding nebula, and, and it's really rad. Yeah. Um, and I just, I super want to see what's going on with Baron Mordo, because uh, he is, seems to be making the most sense of this comic, and he is just <laughs> mindlessly flying towards Genghis Khan. Just a, aged Genghis. I don't know if he's actually Genghis Khan, I forget. <laughs> but so, uh, hey, listener, if you'd like to spit in the face of eternity and use advanced communications technology to contact the podcast, <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Uh, you can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching Stranger by the Dozen. Find us on Twitter at Stranger by the Twelve, that's Stranger by the One Two, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images from these issues that we covered this week, so keep an eye out. There's some really awesome art in here that's definitely worth your time. Maybe don't read the text on those pages. Or just, you know, check it out. It's worth, I think it's worth looking at. If you just loaded up random pages and and checked out the art and read what was going on, you would have about the same level of insight that we do right now. It's, okay, it's weird. Uh, so you can find Stranger by the Dozen on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcasting app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes especially, I will read it on the show. And feel free to find Duncan by using the internet to seek him out. Do not be deterred by the threats of immortal god beings. <laughs> on next week episode, on next week's episode, after Eternity decides whether or not to destroy reality, we'll dive with both feet into the second half of Steve Gerber's run on Defenders. There will be the Headmen. Nebulon will return in new and confusing forms. Brains will be swapped. Social movements now completely forgotten will be satirized extensively. <laughs> there will be a murderous deer and a brain surgeon from Russia who is also a beautiful superheroine. Because why not? Also, uh, more elf with a gun? I don't know what you're talking about. Until next time, faithful listener, I say... I am a master, but in arts neither I nor any man can fully understand, surrounded by the illusion men call reality, and the reality men call illusion. And though I know many doorways connect the two, I must remember that doors swing both ways. Others know them as well as I do, and so I must stand eternal vigil. Even now, something evil seeks entrance. I am certain of it. You're talking nonsense. Until next time, my name is Conrad, and for Duncan, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path. Mon ami, 